Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Let's get into the word this morning here. I'm excited to share with you guys. We've been talking the last several weeks really on things that a lot of us who have been going here for you know a year or two would probably be familiar with, and, and maybe it's just a good reminder for you. For others of us here, uh, maybe first time or, or you're newer, maybe you haven't heard some of these concepts, and I've just felt like, like the Lord was telling me, let's go back to some of these basic things, because not everyone knows these things, and for, especially from the perspective of grace, the perspective of his goodness, the perspective of his love. Uh, if you go here for any amount of time, you're going to find that we are really grace and love-based in this community. And, and I believe it's for a reason, because that's how God is. And, you know, God is not a forceful father who is forcing you to be a slave to his every whim. He's not looking for henchmen and, and minions to do his bidding. He's looking for sons and daughters who of their own accord say, you are so good, what can I do now? Because there is something to do, right? I mean, we can hear a message about grace and walk away and think, well, there's nothing to do then. No, no, grace empowers you to do what you're called to do. But it's always out of inspiration, never obligation. Does that make sense? Today, I want to talk about this idea of being committed. And more specifically, being truly committed. Have you ever heard that in a church setting? We need to be committed to God. We need to be truly committed. And I believe that there's truth to that. But I believe we have to go about it in such a way that we see it with this foundation of grace and foundation of love. If you want to follow along this morning, you can do so on the screens behind me. Also, if you have the Version Bible app on your phone or smart device, if you open that up, go to the More tab, select Events, you should see right at the top, Face City, Michigan Campus. And you can follow along, put your own notes in there, and even save it for further reference. I encourage you to do that. But I want to start this morning in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, as we talk about this idea of being truly committed. Hebrews 13, verse 5, the second half there says this, For he has said, talking about God, what has God said? I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Now, if you've gone here for at least a few weeks, you probably hear this almost every single week. I mean, and maybe it's just what I go through in life. Um, you know, every pastor has a personality, and, and where we are in the journey, those things just pour out of us. But there's something about realizing that he's never going to leave me. There's something about realizing that he'll never forsake me. I'm not in this alone. There's no amount of good works that I can do to change his opinion of me. Do you hear that? His opinion doesn't change of you, okay? Now, we do dumb stuff. We reap dumb consequences, right? But I think it's important to see that God's opinion, his love never changes because true love is unconditional. So if love changes or has strings attached, it's not really love. So in this idea of true commitment or being truly committed, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I was thinking today about when I was a, a young kid, how many times I would be asked to do something by my parents and I wouldn't follow through. I remember one time I was at this party. Uh, there was a church. It was actually a lot like this. The church was located right in Flint, right in the neighborhood. That's why when we walked through here, I remember the first time we walked out, I went, there's houses. 
It's like so cool to walk out and you see a neighborhood and houses. It's like that, that old community church feeling, like the church is there in the center of everything. We had this really cool Baptist church right on the corner, literally like four houses up and across the street. And next door to that, they had this, this house that they had turned into a youth community center thing. And they would have parties and stuff. They would have vacation Bible school and things like that. Well, they had this party one night. And so my dad went over with me. And they had this portion of the party where all the kids would stay down in the basement in the rec room. And one kid would come up at a time. And they, had, they were doing something that no one else could see. It was part of the game. Well, you know, me as this very obedient child that I was all my life, I would be sneaking up the stairs to peek and see what was going on. Well, about the third or fourth time, you know, I was told, stay downstairs. One of the kids, because you know how good kids are and they're so friendly, said, Andy's on the stairs again. And my dad heard this. He came down. He said, that's it, Andrew. Andrew Scott. When I hear Andrew Scott or Andrew Scott Baranczyk, I know I'm in trouble. My wife says, Andrew Scott, I know I'm in trouble, right? So my dad says, Andrew Scott, yes, come with me. So we started marching across the street. My house was directly across the street from that youth center. And I was bawling. I felt so bad. I'm thinking, I'm going to miss all there is at the party because I couldn't just follow through and listen to what my dad was saying, listen to what the leaders were saying. And I remember saying, Dad, Dad, I promise, I promise I'll do it right. I promise, I swear I'll do it right, Dad. And he's like, shut up. No, he didn't say shut up. He actually eventually let me go back. But you know, as kids, when we mess up and we don't follow through, uh, to our commitments and what we say to do, a lot of times we, we, we try to beg for forgiveness. I can be better. I can do more. You know, the other day, uh, Aiden, I had asked him several times to do something, and, and um, he's just in this stage right now where it's like, we, we found out he's not deaf, which is good. He just doesn't listen, you know, in certain aspects of his life. But I asked him several times to do something. He just wasn't doing it. Finally, I'm like, you know, buddy, just go to your room. You get time out. I'm not, I just don't want to even deal with this right now. Go to the other room. You're not listening. And, and he was so bummed because we we're actually in the middle of playing a family game, I believe. And he really wanted to be part of the game, but he wouldn't listen during the game. And I said, buddy, I don't know what else to tell you. We're not enjoying ourselves. We can't even function right now. You have to go to your room. Go to your room. And so he goes to his room and he's just bawling. He's crying. It reminds of me when I was like seven or eight in that same story. Like you really wish you would have made a better decision. Well, at one point I walked to the doorway of his room and he's sitting there, man, I'm telling you, man, when my, when my kids give me that look, I just, I melt. I'm like, I, because I really want to bless them in life. Do you ever see your father like that? And not only that, it's not that you're trying to get God to bless you. He already has. He's given you all things for life and godliness. It's a done deal. And so sometimes we're sitting there and we're like, God, I'll, I'll be more committed. I'll, I'll do better. I just, I, I want your blessing. It's like, it's already there, son. It's already there, daughter. Just say okay and receive it. So I walk to the doorway. There's Aiden. He's sitting on his bed. He's crying. He's like, Daddy, Daddy, I promise I'll be better. I'll do it better. And then he does this. He reaches out the pinky. I pinky swear. I pinky promise. You know what he, he wanted? He wanted Daddy to come up and, and join my pinky with his so he knew he was okay. But see, I think a lot of times we're like that in a relationship with God. I pinky promise. I, I pinky swear I'll get it right next time, God. I, I'll be more committed next time because our intentions are right. And you know, one thing I told, I told Aiden at that point and I tell my kids is, listen, 
don't promise me you'll never do it again because most likely you will. You're human. You'll fall short. You'll fail. Okay? So God isn't looking for promise keepers. He is the promise keeper. Do you hear me? Because we're going to break promises at times. But thank God, when I'm faithless, he is faithful. And so it's important we see this. And so I encourage my, my kids, don't promise me, but I love your good intentions and I forgive you and let's move on now. And I believe that that's the heart of God. Yes, what you did wasn't very smart and you reap consequences, which by the way, didn't come from me. They came from the consequences. The wages of sin is death and destruction. God doesn't pay the wages, sin does. You follow me? We got to get the paymaster right here. But what God has done through Jesus Christ is he's given us all we need, everything for life and godliness. It's there. But it's up to us to receive it, to believe it, to walk in it. So we promise to do better. I will be more committed to doing what you ask of me. That's what we're saying as children in those situations. That's what we say sometimes to God in those situations. So in the next few seconds... I want us to think about, I want us to contemplate the word commitment. Say commitment. Commitment. Now think about this word commitment in the light of your relationship with God. Think of maybe a few mental bullet points that come to mind when you think of this idea of commitment. Whatever comes to mind. In a spiritual context, what does commitment mean? Think about this. In a spiritual context, what does commitment mean? Ten seconds, go. What does commitment mean? Ding, 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 ding. Time's up. Class participation. What came to mind? What does commitment mean in the light of your relationship with God? Anyone? What's that? Everlasting contract. Follow through. To continually acknowledge his presence in your life. Okay, that's good. That's commitment. Daily devotion. I like that. That's good. Anyone else? Continue to trust in him. I like that. I wrote a few bullet points down here. Uh, dedication. Serving God. Enduring tough times. Sound like commitment to you? Being faithful to God. How about this? Showing good character. Right? Would that be something we would do to be truly committed? Staying true no matter what. You ever felt that way? I'm getting through it this time, God. I'm going to stay true no matter what. And then you stumble, right? I mean, it happens. And then you're like, oh, and God's like, get up. It's okay. You know, the standard, I am committed to God stuff. And I think that's great. I think as believers, let me say this, as mature believers, there is a standard of commitment that we hold. But I want us to see something this morning. Because here's the big question. Is the main focus of our relationship with God more about your commitment to him or about his commitment to you? I want us to think this through this morning. Here's even a better question. Out of all the things we listed, why doesn't God's commitment to us ever make the list? When I say relationship with God, for some reason, I do the same exact thing. We think us to him instantly. What I can do, follow through, being faithful, being committed. That's what I think. 
But of all the times I've asked anyone this question, no one ever said is, ooh, our relationship? Well, it's, it's back and forth. It's a two-way street. So God's commitment to me, I never hear that. Isn't that crazy? Like in your mind right now, you're like, why didn't I think of that? I, I go to a grace church. How could I not even think about God's commitment to me? We don't put that on the list. It's all about what we do for him, which is, I think it's beautiful because it shows the intentions of our heart. It shows what we're built for. It shows our righteousness. It shows who we are. It shows our identity. And so as believers, we're like, well, my identity lines up with being faithful, with being, you know, having follow through for God, uh, with being committed to what God has said to me. So why doesn't God's commitment to us ever make the list? Let's look at Hebrews again chapter 13 and and verse 5, but I want to look at it in the mirror translation that's beautiful here. He says, he has said that he will never quit on you or abandon you. You ever had anyone just quit on you? Like, I'm done with this friendship. I'm done helping you with this project. I mean, it goes, you know, there's deep things, there's shallow things. Anyone ever have a spouse quit on you? Yeah? Yeah? It happens. It's real life, isn't it? But God says he will never quit on you. He will never abandon you. And look what he goes on to say here. That is reason enough for total and continual contentment. Because if you read the context of Hebrews here, it's talking about all these things, including money that we try to put on ourselves. Listen, not, not bad or wrong to have things as long as things don't have us. But a lot of times we try to find true contentment through material things or through relationships. And he's saying, listen, all those things may or may not fail. A lot of times they do in the natural, but I will never fail you. I won't abandon you. I'm not going anywhere. When I was in school in English, or maybe they call it language arts today, I learned the difference in two kinds of sentences. And I believe it's key here. There's declarative sentences and there's imperative sentences. Do you remember this? You're like, you got to scrape the dust off a little bit, right? Yeah, that's right. Declarative and imperative sentences. Declarative sentences declare facts and make statements. So a declarative sentence will inform us. It will declare a fact. It will declare a statement. Whereas imperative sentences issue commands. They obligate us. You see the difference? So one declares and one's imperative. There's declarative and there's imperative. Do you know that the great bulk of the Bible is declarative, not imperative? Doesn't mean there aren't imperatives in the Bible, but the majority of the Bible is declarative. Now think on that for just a second. What God declares to you Some things he's declared. God has told us what is, what was, and what will be. He has declared his boundless love for lost and broken humanity. That's a declaration that God has made to us. He has revealed his complete forgiveness, listen to this, as a starting point, not the ending point of relationship with him. Come on. That doesn't make you happy. I don't know what will. The fact that forgiveness is the starting point, not the ending point. In other words, you don't have to earn forgiveness. It's already been provided. And he says, so you want to hang? You want to be friends? Can I be your father? 
Can I develop relationship? Can I start to show you who you truly are? This is God's desire toward us. God has aimed his brilliant spotlight on his self-giving, self-sacrificing love. Nothing was more declarative than the cross. God was declaring his love for mankind. He allowed humanity to murder him. No greater love is there than this, than a man lay down his life for another. In the cross was God declaring, I love you. I mean, do you not think that God could have defended himself? We talked last week about it. He could have called legions of angels. They could have rescued Jesus and slaughtered all those who were trying to kill him. But Jesus says, my kingdom is different. That's not how I operate. That's not how the kingdom functions. And so God has declared his boundless, self-giving, self-sacrificing love. This is the gospel. I love this quote by Bill Giovanetti. He says this, God has made his own commitment to us the centerpiece of the cosmic story rendering you and me and everybody else as bit players in the drama of redemption. In other words, the the very spotlight, the very center of the cosmic story is God's commitment to you. Now, when I first told you the title today, Truly Committed, I'm telling you, all of us went, that's right, that's me. I need to be truly committed. And not once, maybe some of you did tell me afterward, we don't embarrass anybody, including myself, but I don't believe any of us immediately went, that's God's commitment to me. Right? It's, it's human nature, isn't it? It's human nature to what can I do? How can I perform? How can I measure up? How can I earn what, let me be honest with you, can't be earned. It's already there. It's freely given. Isn't that awesome? Are you getting this this morning? We think about being truly committed. Now, you being truly committed, it's part of your identity. And as you mature, you'll find yourself being more committed. But do we see that the centerpiece of the cosmic story is his commitment to us? Man, we could go home right now. We could ingest and digest that all day long and go, wow, you are so good. But I got another hour, so just hang with me. You know, the Bible is so declarative. It declares God's nature, his attributes, his relationships, his his gifts, his blessings, his mercy, his kindness, his goodness, his benevolence, his self-sacrifice, his generosity. The Bible declares salvation to all humanity if we will only believe and receive And we know that salvation is not just a ticket somewhere in the future of the sweet by and by, right? It's deliverance, preservation, safety, rescue, healing, and wholeness here and now. The Apostle Paul tells us that the message of the cross is power to those, listen to this, being saved. What are you talking about, Paul? I thought being saved was a one-time event. No, it's a lifetime of events. Being saved, finding deliverance, 
rescue and wholeness and healing in every facet of your life. And how many know it's a journey and it takes time? But do you see how declarative God is in the scriptures? You see how declarative that God is when we see the life of Jesus, who, by the way, was the exact representation of who God is? It's very declarative. It's healing. It's wholeness. That's what he brought all through his ministry. It's beautiful when you see that. The Bible tells the story of God's grace unfolding in the real lives of messed up people. That's awesome. Because eyes messed up sometimes. I got some areas in my life, I'm like, why do I still say that? Why do I still react like that? Because you need deliverance and healing and restoration. Oh, so do I get in condemnation and shame? No. Stick with me, kid. We'll get through this. It's so cool. It's, it's such an awesome way to live that I'm not fearful. We talked last week about the fear of the Lord. So if you get a chance, check out the podcast, go on the website and hear it. But what does the fear of the Lord really mean? It's to see him for who he truly is. That brings wisdom in our life. It, it gets us to the point where we start to see love and walk out love in our life. But his desire is to heal us and to restore us. The Apostle Paul also says this in 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, starting with verse 21. Listen to this. It is God himself, who? God himself, who makes us together with you. Now, I love this. See, Paul's about inclusion. We're bringing everyone together here. It is God himself who makes us together with you, what? Sure of our life in union with Christ. If you're ever wondering if you're in union with Christ, don't take your own word for it. Don't take someone else's word for it. It's God himself who makes us. Are you following me? Look at this. Who has placed his mark of ownership upon us. Now stop there for a second because we see that we're like ownership. So are we slaves? Uh-uh. You got to think of this in terms of a seal. Some translations actually say he's placed a seal upon us. Now my kids... Uh, when they walk around doing what they do, and someone's like, that's Aiden Baransic. Oh, oh, Baransic, okay. He's sealed with the Baransics. Okay, I see. He's from that family. He takes ownership under that name. Do you follow this? So when someone sees you, they go, oh, oh, that's one of God's children. See, it's not ownership like you're a slave. No, you're sons and daughters. And so someone looks at you and they go, oh, oh, they belong to that family. And here's the beauty of the gospel. We can turn to them and say, and so do you. You just don't know yet. Do you want to be part of the family? Isn't that cool? Who has placed his mark of ownership upon us and who has given us the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the guarantee of all that he has in store for us. I'm preaching myself happy this morning. This is so good. So we can say this, history is God revealing to us that he is infinitely more committed to us than we will ever be to him. I mean, look at the stories of all those God was involved with, Adam and Eve, Abraham, Noah, Moses, Israel, David. No one was perfect. Everyone messed up. No one was totally committed 100% all the time to God, but God was always and continually committed to humanity. Why? Because I will never quit on you. I will never abandon you. 
That's the beauty of the scriptures to me. It's a story of God's total and complete commitment to humanity, regardless of our commitment to him. Now listen, if you're not committed to him and the kingdom and his ways, there's consequences, again, from God, no. From the dumb stuff we do. Are you following me here? It's funny, if you had kids, if you had, you know, your, your kid gets in trouble and so there's consequences and, and their responses, you're just so mean to me. You don't love me. You're doing this to me. And I always go, no, you brought this on yourself. This is the consequences for what you did. The consequences are paying you back, son. Does that make sense? So, you know, it's funny that if you preach God a little too good, people say like, ah, so people just get away with stuff. Look around you. Nobody gets away with anything. You don't get away with anything. But God's opinion of you doesn't change. And the quicker that we start to awaken to his opinion of us and see ourselves for who we truly are, like our true identity, the quicker we will be who we truly are. We won't make those dumb decisions. But again, how many on the journey? Right? And it's going to take the rest of my life. And I don't know if I'm going to be 100% symbol. You ever seen that symbol? 100% in every area of my life. I'm working towards that. I'm allowing him to work through my life. But listen, I'm just enjoying it. It's like when my kids, you know, when they first started to crawl, I was like, why aren't you walking? You're taking too long. No, every step of the journey, we celebrated where they were, we celebrated their accomplishments, and we were proud of them. How can you be proud of them? They just rolled over. Because it's my child. Shut your mouth. <laughs> right? That's, that's daddy with us. People can judge and say, well, why are you so proud of them? They barely come to church once a month, and I come every Sunday. And the Holy Spirit's saying, shut your mouth. No, I'm just kidding. He's not saying that, but... <laughs> He's like, listen, they're on their journey. They're where they are. Just concentrate on yourself. You ever told that to your kids? Hey, can you concentrate on yourself? I got this. I'm the parent. Right? When Aiden tries to correct Ethan, it's like, dude, you're eight. He's 15. What's going on? We got this. We're the parent. Just chill. Right? It's like God's saying, I'm the parent. Just chill. Get off my children. Okay? Anyway, that's enough about that. History is God revealing to us that he is infinitely more committed to us than we'll ever be to him. It is declarative above all else. Why then do sermons and messages and social media, songs and books emphasize the imperative? Go to the local Christian bookstore. You got a lot of books about the imperative. What you need to do to be okay with God. What you need to do to be committed. Great intentions, right? You know, uh, people who even preach mixture, little law, little grace, great intentions. You know, I found in, in, you know, when I thought I was just a straight grace preacher, I look back and go, wow, I was mixed. We're all mixed at some point. We're all learning. We're all on a journey, right? And no one's better than the other. That's why we, we embrace and love all our brothers and sisters wherever they are. I really don't think that agreement equals relationship. Okay? If it does, then you don't know what relationship is. Okay, we don't unfriend people on Facebook because they don't agree with us. We don't refuse to have a cup of coffee with someone because they don't agree with us. That's just, that's just dumb. I said it. It's dumb. 
Let's sit down with people. Let's have conversations. Let's empathize. Let's get into their lives. Maybe you'll learn something from that person that you never saw before. And the Holy Spirit will use that, that conversation to help change your mind, which, by the way, is repentance, to change your mind, to see things differently, to begin to walk a different way because you see things differently. You follow me? So why do we spend so much time telling people what to do or what not to do before we've fueled their spirits with what God has already done. I mean, I did this for years. I got a bunch of stuff for you guys to do, man. It's right here in the scriptures. Absolutely it is. But see, the apostle Paul had it right. When he would write a letter, the first part of the letter was telling you how great God is, his grace and love towards you, who you truly are, you saint. And about halfway through, he'd shift gears and say, so here's what it looks like to walk out that sainthood. This is what it looks like to walk out a life of Christianity, being a follower of Christ. Does that make sense? Because I think we should be a mirror or reflection of his image. That's what he calls us, image bearers, right? But so many times we put the cart before the horse and we preach the imperative versus the declarative and our proportions are out of whack. You know, commit, submit, Give, serve, go, sacrifice, be radical for Jesus, give back, change the world, be nice for God's sake. Now, I'll tell you in that one, please be nice. We have enough Christians who aren't. Let's be the nice Christians. <laughs> Let's show the love of God, right? But there are all these imperatives. And I believe that these and thousands of other imperatives are shouted from pulpits, they're posted on social media, and proclaimed by those representing the church. But where's the declarative? What are we speaking to and over people? And so I believe, meanwhile, back at the ranch, many times we get the declarative stuff wrong. It's a contorted message of bland love from a bland God. And we wonder why people aren't tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. You with me? I'm not coming down on anyone today. I just trying to give us perspective. I'm using Bible scriptures and stuff <laughs> to, to give us perspective of who we are and really what's our mission on this earth, right? To bring more kingdom to this earth, a kingdom built on right relationship, peace, and joy. That's beautiful. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, in verse 4, because the question is, what does God's commitment look like? Say that with me. What does God's commitment look like? Paul answers here. Verse 4 of Galatians 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those under the law that we might receive what? Adoption to sonship. Now hold that thought for a second. Verse 6. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, and I love this, Abba, Father. We could say, God's my dad. Daddy, God. Verse 7, so you're no longer a slave. Slave to what? Slave to sin, slave to the law. But what? God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Now think about this. Today we're talking about being truly committed. But do you see how your commitment comes from his commitment to you? 
Are you following this train of thought so far? Because our relationship with God is one where he initiates, we respond. This is relationship. I mean, think about most, most parent and child relationships, especially when they're younger. What happens is we initiate, they respond. This is what life with the divine looks like. Our faith comes from his faith in us. Our love comes from his love for us. And like we're talking about today, our commitment comes from his commitment to us. So it's like Daddy God is showing us what it looks like to have faith, what it looks like to truly love, what it looks like to have true commitment in our lives by saying, watch me, watch me. Now, this term up here, adoption to sonship, is huge. Now, you've got to understand, how many know that Paul didn't write this to you? He wrote it to the Galatians, right? Now, he wrote it for you. How many glean good things out of Paul's letters? Good things out of what the Gospels say, right? But it wasn't written to you. If I wrote a letter to someone 2,000 years ago and you found it in 2019, you can't go, he wrote this to me. But maybe there's some things you could glean from it, so it's written for you. Does that make sense? So, so in this environment, in the first century world, we've we got to see adoption from this viewpoint or this angle or vantage point. In the first century, adoption was completely different. Today, birth into a family, I believe, is desired over adoption. Now, I have friends of mine who have adopted children, and I'll tell you what, they, they work hard to make sure that no child feels different than the other. You're all part of this family. We love you. There's no difference between natural-born children and you. But I think in Western culture, we think of adoption as, oh yeah, they were added to the family. It was a second or a last thought. You follow me? Again, there's some great adoptive parents that have you know, really mastered the way of making, even blended families. You know, Chris and I blended family. When we got married, she already had two children, which they're my kids. I forget that they had this other dad. I mean, they're my kids, but it took, it took time, especially when Ethan came along. I, I never knew that you could have that much love for a child when it was born. Okay. But it didn't diminish my love for my, I, you know, I've never used the word stepkids, but we understand what that means, right? So it was an on-purpose thing to make sure that they didn't feel like I was showing more love towards a natural-born son than to them. And we've had conversations about this. And they've told me, we've never felt that, Dad. But it was work. Okay? But I want us to see something here. When it comes to this time in the first century, according to Roman law, a naturally-born baby could be disowned from the family. However, people adopting a child knew exactly what they were getting and no one adopted a child unless that specific child was wanted as a family member. So, listen to this. According to Roman law, an adopted child could not be disowned. It was illegal. Now think of the context when Paul was writing that you are adopted to sonship. This is huge. He or she was permanently added to the family. 
Now, we know this, that many believers, early believers, were Roman citizens. So I believe that Paul, using the word adoption, it was one of God's ways to let the church know that he chose the children brought into his family, which, by the way, is everyone. Everyone is welcome. Right? We'll talk about predestination another day, but in context, everyone's predestined. Will you receive? I'm stepping on theology, maybe. I don't care. (laughs) Because I want you to see how vast the love of God is for his creation. This was God's way of saying, I chose you into this family. And guess what? No one can take you from it. Done deal. Come on, does that bring some security to your soul? There's a Roman historian, his name is William M. Ramsey, and he writes this. The Roman Syrian law book, where a formerly prevalent Greek law had persisted under the Roman Empire, well illustrates this passage of the epistle, talking about Galatians. It actually lays down the principle that a man can never, say never, never never put away an adopted son, and that he cannot put away a real son without good ground. And he writes this, it is remarkable that the adopted son should have a stronger position than the son by birth, yet it was so. See, Paul wanted to see the truth. You're in the family, no one can take you out. That's awesome. This term adoption to sonship in the Greek is the word weathesia. Now, we've had some discussions before about the word son. There's two words for son in the New Testament in the Greek. It's weas and technon, right? You think about the story of the prodigal son. Uh, The prodigal son was the weas. The older son who stayed at home, who did everything he was supposed to do, he was the technon. Technon actually means baby child, immature. The mature one in the story, I mean, think about when Jesus is telling this story, the mature one in the story is the prodigal. What? Because weos actually means mature son. This phrase adoption to sonship being in the Greek, weothesia has that root of weos. Weos means a child who's been marked as someone's son or daughter. Listen to this, because of the similarity between the parents and the child. Come on, somebody. How many image bearers in here? Listen to this. This might get you a Holy Ghost goosebump right here. It is the similarity of facial features, character, and attitude. What? So when you walk this earth doing what you do, people should see the face of God in your face. They should see the character of God in your character. Are you catching this? They should see the attitude that God has toward humanity in you. So I started thinking, what kind of attitude am I having toward people? Somebody know we can live out a false identity. We preached it weeks ago, looked that one up too, that we all make a God in our own image. If you're an angry person, you end up with an angry God. If you're a happy person, usually you have a happy God. A loving person, a loving God. A greedy person, a greedy God. I mean, we we have this tendency to make God in our own image. It's just what we do, right? 
But can you see how powerful adoption to sonship really means in the scripture here? See, lacking the confidence that comes from knowing the Father's commitment to you makes insecure believers filter his words about you through an orphan's anxieties. And what happens is all of a sudden those survival instincts kick in and they keep you from fully trusting his promises to you. And we think things like, I must stay committed so as not to lose my grip and somehow drift away. But listen, you receive the adoption to sonship. And by the way, ladies, son and sonship in the New Testament, it's gender neutral. It includes you. So say, I'm a son. I'm a daughter of God. No one can take it away. God is totally committed to me. Isn't that beautiful? A couple more scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. More promises, more commitment from God. He will also keep you firm to the end. Who will keep you firm to the end? He will. So that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this. God is faithful. Come on, you're saying a lot today. Say that with me. God is faithful. Who has called you into fellowship with his son. Who called you? God. Do you see how all this commitment's already been done on his end? And he says, so will you commit yourself to believing what I've already committed to you? It says this in the message translation. It says, just think, you didn't need a thing. You got it all. All God's gifts are right in front of you as you wait expectantly for our master Jesus to arrive on the scene for the finale. And not only that, but God himself is right alongside to keep you steady and on track until things are all wrapped up by Jesus Who's by your side? God. Who's keeping you steady? God. Who's keeping you on track? Daddy. I like that, Bruce. Daddy is. Why? Because he says, I'll never quit on you. I'll never abandon you. And then he says this. God, who got you started in this spiritual adventure? Who got you started? I want you to see the commitment here. Shares with us the life of his son and our master Jesus. I love this. He will never give up on you. Never forget that. Then 2 Timothy. Paul tells Timothy, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Now just so we understand this morning, does commitment matter? Absolutely. But your commitment comes from his commitment to you. It's an outflow of relationship with your father. You tracking with me? So when someone says to you, give me one good reason why you should be forgiven, why you should be accepted, why you should be his son or his daughter, why you should be loved, where will you point? To your commitment, to your submission or your surrender or your love? Because guess what? Sometimes mine falters a little bit. How about you? Isn't it great to just be honest and transparent? You ever just had days you're like, why am I even doing this? I have. 
and I have the name pastor next to my name. I think these things sometimes, and it takes the Holy Spirit to say, stop pointing to yourself for, for worthiness. Stop pointing to yourself to feel okay about yourself. Point to the one who has the nail marks in his hands. Point to the one who has that, that crown of thorn, those scars from the crown of thorns on his head. Point to the one who sacrificed himself in self-giving, self-sacrificing love. The one whose face bears a smile of love and acceptance towards you. What are we saying? Point to Jesus. Because Jesus was on full display to demonstrate the, the love of the Father towards you. And he accepts you. He is totally committed to you. He's not going anywhere. He will not quit. I love that phrase. He won't quit you. He won't quit on you. Because sometimes I think I've quit on God. But then I'm reminded he never quits on me. And that's the very reason that I cannot quit on him. It's because he doesn't quit on me. That's true love. That's true relationship. Amen? So why is it that we can point to Jesus? Because God is truly committed to me. He's truly committed to you. Say that with me. God is committed to me. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.